Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I am Peter Switzer and I'm coming from Antibes in south of France on the famous Riviera. This is actually the view off my balcony where we're staying right now. On tonight's show, my colleague Paul Ricard will get the latest take on the market with Adam Doors of Shore Partners on a day when the market has lost close to 0.5%. Uh, Before I left Australia, I wanted a contrarian view on investing here and OS. And, and I did that with Damien Classen of Nucleus Wealth. And that's exactly what Damien gave me, a contrarian view. I also caught up with Michael Knox, Chief Economist at Morgan's, who's one of the best callers of what will happen to the Aussie dollar, which is not easy to do. Um, and it can have a big bearing on your investments, particularly if you're investing OS. And for the Julia Lee fans out there, Julia is on a well-earned rest, but will eventually be back on the show. Let's kick off now with Paul Rickard catching up with Adam Dawes. The Reserve Bank Board meets tomorrow and uh, everyone's expecting an interest rate cut. Will it be 0.25% or 0.4%? Joining me to talk about that, plus his views on, on the two sectors that are moving, energy and lithium, is Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. Yes, thank you. It's great to be here. Now, tomorrow the Reserve Bank meets and are widely expected to uh, increase the cash rate. Some say not by 0.25%, some say 0.4%. Do you think it really matters as far as the stock market is concerned? Oh, look, I, I definitely think it does matter. If, if, if it's 0.25, I think the market will be quite comfortable with, the, uh, with that slow uh, interest rate increase. However, if it does get up there and, and then they do turn around and they do do a, a 40 basis point hit, I think that will spook the market a little bit due to the fact that it's potentially outside of what the rhetoric is that they've spoken about. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see at 2.30 uh, tomorrow. I think all eyes will be glued onto the screen to see how, one, the dollar reacts, but then, two, how the market does react after that RBA call. And what about the, the school of thought that says that the Reserve Bank should perhaps get this going a bit harder and move more aggressively and stop this sort of continuous pain. Do you, do you, do you subscribe to that or do you think it's more about uh, we just want to be conditioned to this and it's a gradual approach to uh, you know, slowing it down without sort of disrupting too much of the, you know, the economy too, in too big a way? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's got a lot to do with wage growth or wage growth inflation and we really aren't seeing uh, on the numbers that are coming out, we're really not seeing that wage growth really starting to fire up. However, if you speak to individual companies, and then we speak to a lot of individual companies uh, going forward, they're saying that they're increasing their wages by sort of 10 and 15%. Mm -hmm. So I think that wage growth number is a little bit behind the curve of what's going on. And so really, I think if the RBA does come out and, and, and sort of gets on with it and sort of does that 40 basis point, I think the market probably won't be too happy with that. I think it's steady as she goes and the market doesn't like surprises as you well know and so keeping that rhetoric moving forward and just doing a, a slow increase because we know inflation potentially in june the 10th uh this friday is going to be a big date for us in the markets where we've got uh, us cpi inflation data year on year coming out now that's going to be a big number and if that is then start to be seen to be leveling out or or coming off mm -hmm. uh potentially then the rba might have fired uh, too many of their bullets to start with so yeah, it's going to be a tough one. It's a bit of a balancing act, but I think the RBA should do a 25 basis point increase 
and uh, steady as she goes, I think is the right way to go. Right, we'll find out tomorrow at 2.30pm uh, Eastern Standard Time. Let's go to the two parts of the market that are sort of moving this week and I guess last week. One is lithium and the other one is energy. Let's start with energy. We've seen uh, pretty solid performance from, from Woodside and to a lesser extent uh, Santos and, uh, and Beach in the last couple of days. Uh, what do you put the gains down to and what's your view about uh, the upside in stocks like that? Well, I think, first of all, I think that everybody should have energy in their portfolio. And I've been speaking to a lot of fund managers over the last three weeks, and they're basically saying they're overweight energy uh, across their, their entire portfolio. So I think it's it's one, the market potentially catching up. But certainly Woodside shares today were up about 3.7% to around about sort of $33. And this appears to be driven by really the rise in oil price on Friday night. And also traders bidding oil higher despite OPEC announcing bids or sorry, despite OPEC announcing plans to increase its output. Uh, that appears, I guess, that expected to supply to remain very tight. And, and then obviously we're seeing a lot of oil stocks continuing to rise in Asia trade. So I think the persistence on the pressure on the upside to these energy commodities such as oil and gas is probably bad news for customers, but it's certainly good news for the companies and overnight, uh, you know, you can see oil was up to $118, but also gas, 14-year highs to $8.38 per metric million uh, thermal units. So um, it, it looks like that the, that the oil price is going to stay higher for longer. Yeah, I was looking at a chart of the oil price and it's just sort of notching up each day. There hadn't been too many pullbacks. So uh, it, either OPEC Plus is, uh, can't increase production or doesn't seem particularly willing to, but... Um, it seems like the, the demand is there. The other issue, I guess, with Woodside was last week we got uh, an auction of a major parcel of shares, which was an overhang from sort of the merger of, uh, of the, the BHP assets and uh, oil assets back yeah. into Woodside. Just how important was that for the market? Well, you can see in the share price today, absolutely very important because markets don't like overhangs or uncertainty. And once that line was done, we've seen, I think, the last three three trading days, it's been pretty much green on the screen uh, and moving really higher today. So yeah, that's a really important move to, to get rid of that overhang, to get rid of that uh, potential that there might be a bit of a seller in the market or sort of putting a cap or a lid on the share price uh, yeah, going forward. So, yeah, no, it, it is seen as definitely a green light for the market. And I've sort of the three uh, oil majors in Woodside, Santos and Beach. Uh, what's your preference? Well, look, certainly Woodside, I mean, obviously with the, the deal that they did with BHP, this really puts them in a box seat for growth. And we know Woodside has really struggled on growth over the last five years or so with Scarborough and, and, and the like. It's really, but now with those oil and gas assets from BHP, it really puts them in the box seat for, for growth and driver going forward. So certainly Woodside would be first. Santos, look, Santos has been a, an interesting one that, you know, they're, they're, They've done okay, and, and and obviously the company announced yesterday that they work on increasing domestic gas supplies with Beach as well. So I think that's a smart move by those guys to sort of do that. But look, uh, they, you know, they've they've certainly merged with Oil Search. That's probably taken a little bit of uh, time to digest and to get that right. So Woodside one, Santos two, and then Beach would be my third pick in that space. Only because you always got to stay with the majors, and you always got to stay with the best of breed to start yeah. with. And then you can filter down as you need to uh, with uh, with your various uh, stock selections. And, and that's been one of the lessons of 2022, and I guess say part of last year has been the best of breed, the best companies doing the best. And uh, 
it's very much the difference between the first tier and the second tier companies, really in all markets, isn't it? Yeah, it has been. And if you look at the small ordinaries or the smaller index or the smaller part of the market, that's pretty much all in bear territory. You know, most some of these stocks are down 20, 30, 40%. Um, so yeah, minus the tech space, but the rest of it, absolutely. You've got to be in the in the number one. And even in the smaller space, they're, they're really in bear territory at the moment. So um, hopefully that will, I mean, it's, it's a decent place to hide, to be honest, uh, you know, at the moment where our market is going to be. And I think large caps, it's called the sleep test and I can sleep at night knowing my clients are in some good quality businesses. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the other uh, part of the market that had a big move last week and that's lithium, which has been super hot because everyone's been talking about not just the demand from electrical vehicles, but they've been looking at the underlying balance between demand and supply. And every forecast you've seen for the last X number of years has been that there's just not the supply of lithium uh, to meet the expected demand. Well, hey, presto, a couple of brokers have come out and they say the lithium market could be in supply demand balance, I think, by 2024. Uh, and there might therefore be an oversupply after that. But of course, what happens when the commodity price soars is suddenly people invest in new supply. What's your take on this? I mean, just to think how the lithium market's poised at the moment. Yeah, look, it is really interesting. And you sort of look at the Goldman Sachs report, as you rightly mentioned, brokers coming out with that supply demand curve and commodities work on supply and demand uh, more demand and less supply the prices go higher and that's what's exactly what's happening with lithium at the moment minus a little bit of a scare the other day but look lithium is a valuable commodity and used in everything from medications to, to batteries and it's a key ingredient obviously into lithium ion batteries for that rechargeable lightweight and power laptops phones and you know the, the, the you keep going as to what battery technology is going to happen going forward but it is, does mean that that global demand potentially is expected to sort of double on the battery side from 2020 to 2030. And that's what I think is continuing to drive this market is the, is that potential that there will be more and more batteries needed. And I think if you look at your home five years ago to where you are now, there will be a lot more batteries in your home and as well as Internet of Things these things will continue to go through and go and going forward. So it, the, the cat amongst the pigeons obviously was last week. And I think the market has started to see uh, that sort of reversal or, or, you know, buy the dips as such. But I did see that uh, Alchem uh, today did come out with an announcement saying that their production is going to be about two to 4% lower. Right. That has really sort of uh, hurt, hurt Alchem uh, going forward. But they did say that, that, uh, that, um, they guided to around about $40,000 a metric tonne for the spodumene that they've got. So it's still pretty elevated at the moment. So, yeah. so it, does look a, a, it does look a little bit tough to predict what's going on. So it puts you on the spot, Adam. Are you buying the dip at the moment on the lithium stocks? Again, I'm going to stay with the big boys mm -hmm. in on this one. And Alchem, yes, uh, we did dip our toe in there a little bit. I've, I've also been buying some mineral resources because I really like the idea of the old world and the new world. And you've got uh, mineral resources with iron ore yep. and then you've got uh, the lithium side of it. And I think that's a that's a really good mix. It's a bit of a uh, balance, isn't forward. it, in terms of... Can iron ore? It's a bit of a balance between Go the ahead. markets, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and sort of diversification, I think it, it really sits up well uh, for us on that one. So, yeah, I, 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 look, demand, I think, is still going to be there. Supply, even if, if it does move to, you know, being a balance of supply and, and excess, I think the battery technology as such is going to continue to move. So I think there is still going to be demand 
potentially a little bit less, but um, yeah, I, I'm comfortable to keep adding to the lithium stocks at the moment, but stay in the quality. That's the only way to be. That was Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. And remember that word, quality. Well, joining us now is the Chief Economist from Morgan's. That's uh, Michael Knox. Michael, thanks for coming to the program. Great to see you, Sweet. Peter. That's right. I'm Switzer to you as well. We're, we're close buddies. <laughs> now, listen, <laughs> listen, mate. You know, historically, you've been very good in picking where the A dollar is going, which is not an easy task for any economist. Um, so, you know, while you have a good reputation for picking the A dollar, Let's, let's pick your brain on what you think might happen over the next year. Um, your, your view last time I spoke was you thought later in the year the dollar had upside, but you thought in the interim period it could have challenges because of the Fed raising interest rates and whatever. But what's your current thinking now? Well, I think we're, uh, the Australian dollar is... Uh, part of a group of non-US dollar assets, uh, us, the Canadian dollar, uh, are similar commodity currencies, but the really big ones that lead the non-US dollar group are things like the Euro and Sterling. And uh, uh, so we have to follow those. And, and one of the best ways of following them is looking at what happens to the IMF uh, currency of, uh, uh, which is, together as a, kind of a weighted average of um, um, reserve currencies, which includes sterling and which includes the euro, and that's the SDR. And you can find a chart of that as XDR USD. Um, and uh, that still shows that the US dollar is very strong and the non-US dollar currencies are, are pretty weak. I, I think uh, part of that is, or a lot of that is because uh, uh, in the euro area, in spite of the fact that inflation is as high as it is, uh, uh, um, as high as it is in Australia, and uh, almost as high as the US, they have uh, yet to begin to, as they say, normalise interest rates. Uh, now, Christine Lagarde uh, has a, uh, in terms of her forward guidance, even has a blog in which she talks about uh, the necessity of normalising interest rates in the second half of the year. Uh, which means that the um, uh, ECB deposit rate will start to rise from still negative territory that it is in now uh, up towards uh, uh, neutral and then positive. I think that, that's really the signal uh, when uh, the euro area starts to tighten monetary policy. Then you see uh, rises in, uh, further rises in uh, long-term interest rates for euro area um, Currencies or euro, euro, uh, um, it's it's all it's all uh, euro, but uh, different parts of the euro area, their bond yields move in different fashion. Yeah. They've been actually been moving up in the last month or two, and um, as those get stronger and stronger, we should see the euro begin to move up. Yeah. It's uh, the euro which is really going to lead uh, non-US dollar currencies, and that has yet to move. All right, but Noxie, so you kind of implied, so I always have to decode your brilliance for normal people, which is something, it's a, something you suffer from, this, this brilliance of yours. 
But what you were saying is that the A-dollar gets lumped in with the non-US ones, and if Euro's going up, there's a good chance that we'll get, we'll get pulled along in the, in the, the, the slipstream in many ways. Um, we're also helped, I presume, by high commodity prices um, and, and also the fact that we are going to be starting to raise interest rates. Later in the year, is it likely, given what we saw for, with inflation last weekend in the US, that maybe the US will pause around September, October, provided inflation continues to track, track down. And so that would mean that there might be more push from euro interest rates and even Australian interest rates at a time when the US might be going into a pause. Is that a possible scenario that will help the A dollar go up? Um, you can say no. You can simply say no. Uh, Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's more important, it, it's not so important, even though in theory, we believe that relative rates are what uh, drives uh, real exchange rates. Yeah. Um, in the Euro area, it's uh, it's what German bonds do, which are overwhelmingly important rather yeah. than everything else. You know? yeah. uh, the Bund. Germans care more about what's happening to German bond yields than they care about American yields. So it's yeah. really that big up move in German yields which after a lag drives up the euro uh, yep. because it shows that um, investors in Germany aren't scared and Europe aren't scared anymore. When they're scared, they buy uh, European bonds and, uh, and uh, European yields fall to very low levels. And they've been, they've just emerged from negative territory, negative yields. They're just getting into positive yields. As those yields become greater, then there's more and more, um, confidence uh, about the euro area and therefore the euro area will be instead of sending their money uh, to invest in u.s companies they'll bring the money home and invest in german companies okay, and okay. italian companies okay so so french companies. okay so but you also taught us many interviews ago that the magnitude of the budget deficit in the u.s historically has pushed the u.s dollar down now if you get you've got Rising interest rates in Europe, and you have rising interest rates here, they'll probably tail, but, and you've got this still big budget deficit in the US. Do you, do you see the A dollar over the next year or two? I'll give you two years on this one to make you, make you right. Is it going to be going up or going down? And one thing I want to throw in every time I do morning reports with Ben Fordham on 2GB, and he asks me about the markets. Every time there's enormous confidence in the US and the NASDAQ goes up, the A dollar goes up with it. Risk on, Aussie dollar seems to like it. Is this just an unusual consequence or there is a relationship? And answer the first question, oh. is the dollar going up? <laughs> People out there I'll want to know that more than anything else that you might say. Unfortunately, I'm going to give you the long answer again. Uh, you always the, give yeah, long Aussie answers. dollar and the Canadian dollar already going up relative to the special drawing rate, the, okay. that XDR, that index yeah. of currencies. Yeah. So uh, all we need to do is get the XDR to be stable against the US dollar and the Aussie dollar and the Canadian dollar would go up against the US dollar. The problem is that the US dollar has been strong against uh, the, and getting getting stronger against the the, the euro and the, yeah. and the yen. So, um, 
the so yes, the not just the Australian dollar, but the Canadian dollar. Are we don't give a toss about Canadians. Just talk about that, Aussie. We need some kind of stability in those other reserve currencies first before the Aussie dollar will go up relative to the US dollar. Yeah. But, but the question goes yeah, back. It should happen, yeah. but hasn't yet. Okay. So, so you're, if you had to bet, if you had to bet your life on this, uh, Knox, and we know how, how you value your life, if you had to bet, over the next two years, do you think A dollar is more likely to gravitate up or slump down? And, and Any conventional model of the Aussie dollar says that it should be trading significantly higher than it is now given where commodities are. Okay, well, sure. that's, what, that's what I'm going to put in the lead to your interview. This guy is going to say a lot of stuff that you'll never understand, but that's <laughs> the important one. And, and so, Michael, if it gets to a stage where the, where the Fed says, look, this inflation has come down quicker than we expected, you know, supply chain problems out of China getting better quicker than we expected, uh, we're going to pause on interest rates to see if inflation drifts down, if that's the case, would the focus then go on the magnitude of the US budget deficit and that might also bring the US dollar down and the A dollar up? I think the problem has been that this time the US dollar deficit effect has been short-circuited by the massiveness of QE. Mervyn King talked about this uh, earlier in the year at a uh, interview we did with Marcus Brutheimer of uh, at Princeton. Uh, and he was talking about the problem was that uh, QE was so much larger this time around than it was last time mm. that, it, it, that it, be, it overwhelmed a lot of other uh, policy initiatives. So I think the, pro the reason that the US budget deficit didn't drive down the US dollar this time is because all of those bonds, which in a previous cycle would have come on to the market and driven the US dollar down, were bought up by the Fed. Um, and it's only as that so that stock of US dollar debt is unwound, as it's going to be from the 1st of uh, June, and it continues to be unwound that those bonds come onto the market and then drive down the US dollar. And then that's when we see the, what we've been previously used to in different in previous cycles as the Aussie dollar going up with commodity prices. Okay. so. I'm going to pin you down with one question and you'll give me a yes or a no. All right, a yes or a no. You can throw other stuff at the end of it once you give me the yes or no. But if, if, if you were advised by one of the great financial planners at Morgan's to put all your money into US stocks, all, right, all your super money, there's a lot of super money that you'd have in, in those stocks, would you hedge it? or not? I think it would be, um, I think it'd be a risky thing not to hedge it. Good answer. I wanted to just say, I, I, I guess you, I didn't give you a yes or no, but yeah, I, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking myself when people ask me, when you're investing overseas, because I've got to say, historically, Noxie, one of the best decisions I ever made was buying the Triple Q uh, just after the, the dot-com crash. And, and as it roared back, so did that damn A dollar, and it cancelled out all my gains. So I, I learnt when I thought the currency is going up, hedging is not a bad idea. 
until it's not. I think, I think that's a good judgment, Peter. <laughs> Michael Knox, great pleasure talking to you, mate. Thanks for your contribution. Well, I always like to catch up with someone who watches markets 24-7 and uh, Damien Klassen is head of investments at Nuclear Wealth. I'm sure he does it nearly 24-7. How are you, Damien? Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah. Well, I must admit, I, I, well, when I'm awake, I'm always watching for telltale signs about what's going on and whether I should be investing now and buying tech stocks and all those sorts of questions. People like you and me are always wondering and, and being asked as well. So, so what are your views on where you think interest rates are going to go, both in the US and here? I think the US will probably uh, lead the world in a sense in what they do. But well, what's your take on interest rates? Yeah, look, I, mean, I think the key thing, uh, I think it ends up sort of colouring this debate is, is your thought about where the inflation is coming from and and how much of the inflation is coming from, um, you know, uh, problems with supply chains, then morphing into uh, problem, if you have, uh, problems with supply chains from COVID and uh, morphing into more supply chain problems from um, shutdowns in, in China and uh, the Ukraine war. And that's, I think, where most of ours comes from. Other people have the view that, look, no, this is just a natural, uh, you know, government's been spending so much money, Central banks have had such easy monetary policy. Um, you know, this is a, a natural type of inflation and, and it's going to uh, seek into wages and therefore you're going to need to keep rising, raising rates to uh, to bring them down. My view is it's it's more temporary, but the problem the Fed set itself now is that, um, you know, it's really got to bring down commodity prices in order to, to be successful. So basically it's it's got to raise rates to, to effectively crush uh, commodity prices. Um, Within Australia, I think we've got a a, um, a slightly different problem in that uh, our our interest rates are so much more um, leveraged in terms of the you know, most most lending in the US gets done at the thirty year rate, and so that, that's very you know, changes in interest rates are very slow to feed through the housing market. I think in Australia our problem is that uh, we see those these changes in interest rates a lot a lot sooner, um, so the markets are still pricing in sort of three percent plus. Uh, increases in, in interest rates, which sort of take our, our mortgage rates to up around to, to seven. Uh, in our view, um, yeah, that's a massive uh, recession for Australia if, if, if interest rates have to get that far in Australia to bring back inflation. So, um, you know, I think in terms of the US, uh, we're expecting that I don't think they'll go quite as far as what um, markets are priced in, but uh, uh, definitely within Australia, I, I don't think interest rates will, will rise as far, um, or if they do, we're in for um, yeah. significant economic problems um, yeah, globally. Damien, it seems to me that the people who locally are talking about the cash rate going so high, I have to ask the question, what are these people smoking? Seriously, you know, this is, you know, you know Phil Lowe, you know, he may well made his 2024 call too early and too, too, uh, too wrong, but he's not going to push us up to those levels I prefer the CBA view, which is around what, 1.3, 1.5 for the cash rate by the end of the year. And if he's wrong, well, okay, you can hit us with a, another half a percent. But that seems to me more logical considering the level of debt, considering how effective our monetary policy is, as you've implied. When we raise rates here, because so many are, people are on variable, it bites pretty quickly. 
Absolutely. And and even the people who were on fixed who all got in at the sort of 2% and below rates, uh, you know, they're going to be rolling off over the next um, six to 12 months. Yeah. And so they're going to start seeing, start seeing that. Um, the other thing I'd like to highlight as well in terms of the inflation side is, um, is there is an energy shock coming for Australia. Um, like we're going to be, we're looking, you know, in terms of wholesale prices, our wholesale prices for uh, gas and our wholesale prices for coal uh, are very similar to the prices that Europe's facing. And, and we are really going to see an energy shock come through in terms of the level of um, uh, level of prices that, that Australian consumers is going to face, which is sort of another one more drain on, on, on the budget. And one more thing that interest rates aren't going to really help. I mean, you can cause a recession, obviously, to stop people spending money on 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 driving and 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 um, you know heating the house and things like that. But that's a very very tough way to do it. Um, you mm. know, you really don't have, uh, which is why you know usually when central banks look at it, they look at um, exit exit uh, energy and and, and ex food because those are the things that you really can't um, uh, you know the demand doesn't really doesn't really fall on, on those items and so um, you know I think that's the other thing for um, seen wholesale prices you know at sort of three hundred dollars um, a megawatt hour for the last uh, last little while um, that is a shock sort of coming down the uh, coming down the freeway at the moment that uh, is about to hit the Australian consumer as well. Uh. On the weekend, we saw that the PCA inflation number in the US came in better than expected. And I'm starting to see a number of little um, things that make me think that maybe the supply chain problems are dissipating. They're still with us, of course, and the quicker China, China gets out of lockdown, obviously the quicker the supply chain problems will dissipate as well. But are you seeing it that way that yeah, because you, you, you put yourself in the temporary inflation camp, which I'm in as well. Uh, are, are you heartened by some of the signs that you're seeing around the supply shock impact on inflation? Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, so, so there's a number of things that are freeing up. I think uh, some of it uh, is that China hasn't been shoving as much down one end of the pipeline, if you know what I mean, because they've, they've had their lockdowns. And so that's given a little bit of freedom for the, for the US mm. sides, for example, to, to free up a little. Um, but uh, as the lockdowns start coming off, they, they will start shoving down. I guess um, I do think the um, I do think what we're seeing coming out of uh, the Ukraine is, is going to cause problems for for a longer period of time. And I do think there's a uh, there's going to be this huge push for renewable energy now, and, and that's going to keep energy prices high. Um, and we're going to see supply chain problems. We're going to see a lot of onshoring. A lot, a lot of companies starting to try to bring things onshore. So I think there's going to be uh, it can be very uneven. I, I'm sort of heartened by by the smaller signs I'm seeing, but but I, I guess what I'm expecting is that um, disruption to that supply chains is going to be um, uh, you know, on a sector by sector basis about going. Okay, what, you know maybe it's the lumber sector, for example, looks to have mostly cleared now, um, and then it go, you get onto the next sector of you know, used cars, and there's still problems there, and 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 that'll take um, you know, somewhat longer to clear, and then but but you know there, there's there's positive signs. Um, but I guess the um, if it wasn't for the Ukraine war, my thought would have been that a lot of them would have been clearing by now. Yeah. But, I, but I think the Ukraine wars probably added another uh, 12 months at least, probably probably longer. Yeah. And it really depends upon how much pain Europe's willing to take. And that looks like at the moment they're willing to take a fair bit of pain to um, for, for the sanctions. Yeah, yeah. ending that Ukraine war would be an enormous um, fill-up for confidence, wouldn't it? Um, how are you investing now then, given the, the background that you've laid, laid out? How are you investing? 
Yeah, so we've been um, very conservative for the last uh, you know, three or four months at least since the start of this year where we've been sort of winding back our equities holdings, um, mainly trying to get into defensive uh, stocks uh, and, and sort of just holding on, waiting for the markets to, to pull back a bit. Uh, in terms of valuation-wise, markets have come back to sort of more more like fair value. I think a lot of that, that um, the froth has disappeared from it. Um, so, so valuations look a lot better at the moment. The problem is now, um, will earnings take a hit as, as the Fed keeps raising interest rates? Um, so we're still uh, sort of starting to look, you know, as, as um, a lot of the growth stocks and a lot of the higher quality ones um, are, are being smashed down, we're starting to look and, and, and seeing which ones we can pick up at, at, at cheap prices. Um, you know, stocks like a, um, you know, like Facebook or Meta that might, you might've been paying 30 times earnings for a few years ago is you can now pick up for sort of 12 times earnings. And so um, there, there will be stocks like that, but but for the large part, we're still um, you know, relatively cautious um, and we're, we're quite underweight equity still and we're just sort of gradually adding to positions as, as markets are, are, are coming down with a viewing that look, there, there will be a good buying opportunity coming up. Um, maybe it's now already, maybe markets have come back enough, um, but but my expectation is, is there's going to, there's yet to be a bit of earnings weakness yeah. and, and they'll, that'll see another uh, sort of leg down in, in markets before yeah. we start seeing a um, any sort of genuine recovery. So locally, what do you think are some of the best defensive stocks out there um, that, you know, that, that have longevity in a sense? Because, you know, if you play defence and you find that it works for three months or so, but you're holding it for longer, uh, it, it seems to me that, mm. you know, when the banks were a, lo a lower price, they were a great defensive play, but now they're a higher price, but they still will pay a reasonable income. Yeah, banks banks aren't, uh, aren't one of the main ones we're looking at. Um, I guess the concern for us is that if if market pricing is right, uh, you know, we spoke about earlier, interest rates going to 7% or something, um, that's going to be terrible for the banks in terms of the um, uh, the amount of bad debts we think that would, that would that would rise. So in terms of the, just a caution on that front, um, so we're sort of more into, uh, you know, the consumer staples, um, you know, whether your, your Woolworths and your, your Coles type, type stocks, um, uh, some of it's uh, in terms of trying to find the, the right um, uh, the right property exposures. Uh, there, there are some that are sort of a, are a little bit attractive. And I guess, especially with the view that if we think interest rates aren't going to fall as far, and then there are elements in the, in the energy sector, but you know, in the energy sector, I, I would I'd caution to say, um, I think what's given given the price rises we're seeing, and it, you know, I spoke about Europe looking to, to take some significant pain in terms of the um, uh, putting sanctions in, in, in Russia, is that there's this sort of short window. We're calling it a, a global uh, Putin's carbon tax that he's sort of put on on all these different um, commodity prices, which is which is great for short-term profits, but you need to be quite um, uh, careful in terms of saying, um, you know, the, the transition to renewables is accelerating now. You know, Europe is going to throw bucket loads of, of, of um, government money at accelerating that that, um, that speed. So, you know, what might have been going to be, you talked about in say 10 to 15 years, is probably more like five to 10 years now. We think there's been about a five year sort of bring forward a lot of these projects. And so uh, energy, there's a, there's a short term, um, benefit for you, but you just need to be careful. You're not the, you know, you're not still um, mm. dancing when the music stops in, in that sector. Yeah. I guess people who gambled on Whitehaven have seen that short term benefit, but how long does it last? That's a very mm. interesting question. The renewable threat is clearly one. Um, um, are you expecting eventually 
there'll be a rotation back into tech stocks, only because they've been bashed up so much. I'm not saying that they'll return to the levels mm. we've seen before, but you know, the good quality companies, and I know when people ask me, I say, well, if you're going to take a, a gamble on a, on a local tech company, you know, Zero looks like a, a good one to me. But is there a local tech mm. company that you would be interested in having a bit of exposure to on the basis that eventually it'll make a rebound? Yeah, Zero is there. Um, WiseTech is, is another, you know, we're sort of a big, big fan of the whole uh, yeah, change in terms of uh, a lot of more onshoring, a lot of changes in, in supply chains and, and companies just trying to do everything they can to, to improve it. Um, so, but, but you, you know, the key thing with all of these is obviously the price. And so, you know, for us, it's about identifying the ones where we've, we've um, yeah, Zero is a great example of a stock where it's, okay, um, yes, great earnings, you know, great, great growth profile. We like the stock. We like a lot of things about it. It's just really about getting it to that right level where we're comfortable then. And, and, and these are the types of uh, opportunities you get to sort of lock, lock some of these stocks away, you know, good, hopefully you, You'll, you'll buy them at a cheap enough price, put them in the bottom drawer and forget about it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we run a, a quality value matrix and a lot of it's about saying, you know, you're really high quality stocks. If you can buy them for an average price or cheaper, then great, pick them up and, and you'll own them forever. And, and you sort of more average quality stocks, you buy them when they're really cheap, but you just need to be completely content when they're, when they're not, uh, you know, when they start getting a little bit more expensive than, than you're selling them. So whereas, um, you know, those types of ones we're talking about are the, the really high quality ones are the ones you yeah, mm. is you need to be using these pullbacks to, to to use that as an opportunity to get set in some of those stocks. Uh, Damien, do you think buy now pay later companies are dead, or they will they will come again, albeit not at the same elevated uh, share prices we saw when everyone when there was probably less players in the market, I guess. Uh, yeah, look. Um, it's not an area which we've uh, we've sort of been we've wanted to play in. Um, I think there's a uh, look. I think there's certainly a market for it, and and uh, but uh, but I think the hype you know got got a little bit in front of where um, uh, where the actuality was. So um, you know I think for, for, for us there's it, it's there's no such thing as a bad asset. It's more about a bad price, and and if we're we're buying companies where and they've got sort of 20 growth priced in forever. Mm. Um, uh, you know, we'll tend to take a step away and, and decide that no, no, we'll, we'll let's go for the ones where we can see the cash flows and we can see that the um, yeah. the earnings they're generating are, are, are more sustainable. So I think certainly the um, uh, the smaller end of the the buy now pay later was was extremely speculative. Um, you know, at the larger end, uh, it's, it's some of those companies look more sustainable, but um, uh, you know, it's it's question really comes down to that price you you will pay for it. It kind of reminds me of the old days when there was only two FM stations in Sydney and Melbourne, Triple M and, and Two Day and Fox in Melbourne. They were very valuable stations then, but as more and more FM stations came along, they became less valuable. I think that's what's happened to the buy now, pay later space. But I do think young people don't like credit cards and young people will probably like buy now, pay later for a long time. So I see them as businesses of the future, but you're right, the valuation was the problem, not the, necessarily the business of the bigger ones that people use all the time. Let's go to the final question I've got for you. What stocks do you like right now? You've, you've touched on ones that, where I've led you down the path, but which ones, if, if someone was sure. to link Damien Classen to a number of stocks that you really like right now, what stocks would they be? What, what, are, we, what are we getting in for? 
Look, I think um, let's, let me start with my international portfolio because I think that's sort of yeah, it's a much much larger portfolio and and um, uh, there's a lot more scope in that for for investments. So you know, we're certainly um, there's there's some in terms of the defensives uh, things like uh, Royal Ahold is a uh, a uh, to European stock which which has actually got most of its uh, supermarkets in the US. Um, it's a very cheap stock. Uh, they've been growing quite quite well within the US and, and, and sort of really suits our, our defensive um, mentality there. I uh, spoke a little bit about Meta as, as a stock we've been picking up. Um, so Facebook, um, we're sort of looking upon that as, yes, there's going to be some weakness, um, but there's um, an, an inexorable shift from um, uh, people watching TV to, to people doing more and more things online. And, and for advertisers, that just means more and more advertising dollars every year getting shifted online. And it's very difficult to if you if you've got big advertising budgets to spend money anywhere except sort of Google and Facebook and and, um, and places like YouTube. And so um, yes, yeah, so we've sort of been uh, building up that position. We do have um, some positions in in sort of the Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, Apple um, area as well. Uh, that's we, we haven't sort of been chasing that lower yet, but um, yeah, the time will come over the next uh, sort of month or so. I think we'll certainly start picking up on terms of those positions. Um, some of the other defensive ones we'll, we have within that, um, uh, within property sectors, we sort of go for more esoteric versions. So um, American Tower Corp is uh, uh, leases out a lot of the 5G um, so they, to, to telcos. Mm. And because uh, telcos so, need so many 5G towers that they're not building as many of their own, they're, they're outsourcing it more. And so that's a, another sort of stable company that we, we like and, and it's got some some sort of fundamental push behind it. Um, and then not that long ago, we we picked up a few, um, when the sort of oil shock sort of hit a couple of months ago, we, we picked up some some tire manufacturers, just at cheap rates. Um, it's one of those little little known um, features that, that electric vehicles actually use a lot more tires than, than uh, normal cars. Mm. Um, you get more slipperage because of the way they accelerate, mm. um, get more slippage on the tire and they're also heavier. And so it's one of those areas where um, you know we got to pick up those that sort of feel like it was seven and eight times earnings, and and you know there's not again they're not hugely high quality stocks, but there's that there's that um, you know, a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, rising tide as as, we, as more EVs come on, um, but also just that opportunity of buying them at a, at a cheap rate. One last one, given the fact that you obviously do scan the world for companies. And given the fact that you mm. can't ignore the fact that there's a guy called Mike Cannon Brooks in Australia nowadays, um, have you have you looked at Atlassian? Atlassian has been a, in a sense, it's like an infrastructure company in the sense that it, it does a lot of the back office for lots of big corporations, and its share price has been smashed. Mm. Have you have you thought about Atlassian? Yeah, look, it's it's one we um, oh, we use a, a number of Atlassian products internally. Um, it's one that's always been a bit expensive. Um, it's it's not quite at the levels where, where we're ready to be to be getting in yet. It still has got a fair bit of that sort of growth premium in it. Um, but you know, one that's on our on our watch list, um, uh, you know, at the right price, um, you know, we'd certainly be happy to uh, be happy to be owners in terms of the the, uh, the products they have. Mm. Um, yeah, in the in the past, that has certainly been a, a, a very much a price for the price for that extra growth though, um, and that's you know, tends not to be the place we play. Tend to sort of go for more the, the safe bets and, and, and less volatile stocks. Is our, um, yeah, our bread and butter. Well, one related last question is: uh, given the fact that you think renewables have a have a future and they could undermine the potential of conventional 
um, energy companies. Mm. Uh, Canon Brooks <laughs> determined AGL. Does, does that have a have a potential then? Yeah. Look, I mean, we're huge fans on on terms of the whole um, switch to to, to to renewable energy. So tough things always trying to make the, the numbers work for the companies yeah. that are actually doing the, the transitions. Because um, you know, if I build a wind farm today or, or a solar farm today, and, and you build one tomorrow, you're probably cheaper than me mm. um, because you know you, you've got you've built it a little bit later. Your technologies, um, you know, you managed to buy your, your panels cheaper and things like that. And so, um, and, and there is this inexorable sort of uh, push down in terms of these prices. So where the actual investment side of it, um, we're we're a little bit more circumspect in terms of. Um, uh, finding companies where where we think it looks it, it adds up. We've got a number of different European utilities, but but to be honest, that hasn't been the best part of our portfolio. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the the economics are all pointed in towards the way uh, Michael was talking about in terms of um, you know you will see these shut down, um, and especially at um, you know four hundred dollar oil uh, sorry four hundred dollar um, uh, coal prices and and you know, twenty thirty dollar um, uh, gas prices, the the impetus now to switch to renewables is is, is just incredible in, in both Europe and Australia. But um, finding companies that will profit from it, um, it it's much, I, I think for a while there, we, we had a lot of the manufacturers. Um, we've got a, a number of the stocks we do have are, are things like Schneider that sort of are doing a lot of the plugging in and a lot of the um, connection of these things to, to, to existing grids. So that's, we're sort of looking mm. more in terms of the service um, people to, to the market just because those, um, uh, you know, the earnings, I guess, uh, what the asset owners, we're not as convinced on the asset owners that they're going to make um, super profits um, over the cycle. Damien, thanks for joining us. That's the show and we'll be back on Thursday where I will make the case for sticking with stocks ahead of a surge later in the year, rolling into 2023. But there could be some unnerving moments before that actually happens. And remember, if you want insights, more insights from professional investors and analysts, think about subscribing to the Switzer Report for the price of merely two coffees a week. Go to switzerreport.com.au. I'm Peter Switzer. See you on Thursday.